Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. If I lose to him, I don't know what I'm going to do. I will never speak to you again. You'll never see me again. So, Mike Murphy, there's another campaign promise that will probably go unfulfilled. Well, I'm hoping. Uh, <laughs> I'm a believer. Promises made, promises kept, guys. And that is John Heilman. Uh, John Heilman, our old buddy back from the circus, the circus trail. Uh, good to see you guys. Two weeks out. Mm. Two weeks out. Here we are. Murphy, how, uh, how confident are you that Trump will have to try and keep his pledge to never talk to us again and maybe leave the country. Hmm. Well, you never say never in the lunatic bin of modern American politics, but it looks pretty damn bad. And, you know, I am emboldened in my prediction by But that Trump's. means it looks bad for him, is yeah, what you're saying. it looks saying. bad for the Trump. You keep doing uh, this. You know, we were talking about I'm, this I'm before. Doing the inside. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing yeah. if you're awake and more coffee for you. <laughs> more coffee. The thing that has me emboldened is the brilliant. I mean, it is, you know, Rommel would have said, damn, this guy's good closing strategy that trump has of attacking tony fauci if that won't put the race away i don't know what will but yeah it looks pretty good florida's close trump's making a last stand there and uh it's close 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 north carolina trump's got some muscle there but again biden is playing on trump's backfield michigan wisconsin pennsylvania with a big asterisk about slow vote count all look uh, look pretty strong and arizona Heilman, uh, to this Rommel strategy that uh, Murphy ref- refers to—that's my to. ode to Steve Schmidt. I'm yeah. going for the war analogy. So. Mm, I don't know Marshall. if were you were you or any of your uh, your group with uh, Trump in Iowa when he made that speech. As, have you guys been following him? We have been, but we were not at that particular at that particular super spreader event. No. So he goes to Michigan and he attacks Whitmer yeah. uh, and mocks her for being the victim of a domestic terrorist plot. He goes to Wisconsin where they had 20,000 new cases of coronavirus last week and uh, downplays the coronavirus. And then he caps it all off Monday uh, with an all-day blitzkrieg on Tony Fauci. Right. Winning. Winning. Winning, so to, to, so let's winning. listen. Let's actually listen to the Fauci yeah, tape, and then I want you to react on the other side. People are tired of hearing Fauci and all these idiots. These these people, these people that have gotten it wrong. Fauci's a nice guy. He's been here for five hundred years. Every time he goes on television, there's always a bomb, but there's a bigger bomb if you fire him. But Fauci's a disaster. Somebody's mad about 60 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, what people are tired of. <laughs> people are tired of his infantile outbursts. And I'll tell you, you know, we're two weeks out and I'm tired of sounding like a broken record. But I do think, you know, in this last moment here, we've got this poll that just came out. This New York Times Siena poll, national yeah. poll just came out in which Biden now leads on every attribute and has pulled the level with Trump on the economy, which has been the one thing that. Trump has had a consistent lead on, right? That matters over the which course he never of the year. talks about or rarely talks about. Yes, well, and that's kind of my point is that you know the one place you know every any sane campaign strategist, if you guys were running the Trump campaign, which is kind of akin to saying like if my dog could do higher math, but if you guys were running the the, the running the Trump campaign, you'd be like, hey, do what you did in 2016, buddy. You know, let's talk about that. Spend the last two weeks talking about you know, manufacturing and trade. And if you want the immigration, whatever, something talk, talk about the economy where you have a lead. Instead, he's talking about the one issue on which he's been terminally disadvantaged for the entirety of the pandemic, the place where he's been gotten crushed 
His approval rating is in the mid-30s. Biden's trusted by double digits ahead of him. On the one issue that we know, if that's what the if that's what the race is about, he's going to lose. And so he spends the whole time talking about himself, making a referendum on me, and coronavirus, make it about the issue that I'm worst on. I mean, it's just madness. madness. Yeah, you know, the Times did a poll in mid-September, and they asked who you trust on for information on the coronavirus. Scientists were like, 90% or something. Fauci was 67%, despite the carpet bombing from Trump up to that point. Trump was 26%. So it's like, Murphy, the 26%. This, this, so who, who wakes up and says, I'm going to go after the 67% guy? Yeah, look, again, we, we're we all in Groundhog Day. I feel like every week we're like, yeah, Trump's still crazy. Campaign's still looking <laughs> good for Biden, you know. Trump is in the bubble now where it's all about feeding his 43% new food and having rallies so, you know, he can get over his father and <laughs> hearing applause. So this is, and this, <laughs> this word is in the news now. So I feel like breaking it through on our, on our family friendly podcast, but Trump is running a masturbatory campaign. Mm-hmm. And it, it's all just about his insecurities. And even, even his guys, there's a great story in the AP today, you know, with some, color and detail on how they blew through a billion dollars. This whole thing has been a massive vanity crusade by a crooked family business. And, you know, funnily or amusingly, in some ways, despite all the endless antics, it's the most boring campaign in the history of the world. Trump's a monkey. He throws some shit at the audience. Cut to repeat. And, you know, it's just a matter of, I think, the clock grinding down. And, you know, maybe maybe Trump will be able to close a little in the end, depending on this debate. But I, I think it's Palookaville for him. But, but it's also just, you know, he's also doing the other thing that's the ultimate thing of political self-pleasuring, which is trying to replay the 2016 thing all over again. He is yep, really yep. just the old, the high school quarterback 30 years later, sitting there with the Budweiser in his hand, remembering the great, you know, touchdown that he threw, you know, to win the the Division 2A, you know, uh, playoff game. Uh, in some suburb, you know, and he plays it over and over again. So now we're like with the Hunter Biden story. It's like, you know, back in 2016, it's crooked Hillary. Now it's crooked Joe. It was lock her up. Now it's lock him up. It's like, could you, I mean, really the the monkey, not only just throws shit at the audience, but he's the organ grinder monkey who only knows one song. And he's like, right, and the right. song, and, the, and this is like the out of key, minor key version of that song that has no resonance whatsoever when the country is in the kind of chaos it's in because of the virus and the economy and everything else. Yeah, I watched him on Fox and Friends this morning. First of all, the, the 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 irony of it was he was uh, on a major league uh, 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 whine about how uh, the media is so easy on on, uh, on Biden and spent forty five minutes uh, of the Fox and Friends people asking him just why he is so great and why doesn't everybody see how great he is? You know, Trump is kind of the inside out deal because we've all had candidates who before the rally or the event, you know, bitch and moan to us about damn media, why are they covering that son of a bitch? The ads are right, right, run. They get all their grievance stuff out and then they go out and they kill and, and do their thing. This guy is inside out, man. He does all the grievance that normally a campaign staff would hear. And, and to John's earlier point about a one hit wonder, that is so true. 
I, I used to live up in the Hollywood Hills, and my house had previously been owned by rock and roll god Lowell Cream of 10CC, who had gone <laughs> off to a big career creating music. There's apparently That's a drug huge, cache man. I didn't know that. Buried under my old pool, according to Neil Diamond's saxophone player, this great guy who's unfortunately passed away, who lived across the street. Apparently, there was wet cement and a drug raid, and a bag went into the foundation. But anyway, putting all that aside. Yes, this is a story we got to hear the longer version of. There's not enough time on this podcast for this story to really make it work. Jesus. We really got to get David Hill on, who is not not only a Republican pollster, but was the, as a young grad student, he was the rock promoter who brought the Rolling Stones to Alabama. But to finish up, the, I get, I used to Come get mail. Come back to planet Earth here. <laughs> I'm, I'm landing it now. You just got to give me a second. I would get mail from the old bass player. You know, Lowe had gone off to London to invent uh, music videos. Hey, I, I hear we got a gig we could get at the, the Fargo State Fair. Come on, let's put, put the group back together. And that's Trump. He just wants to remember the old hits and sing the songs. I think that's. I think John's totally right about that, and we're going to watch that indulgence now, forever. For all of what we've said, and we've spent quite a few minutes ragging on uh, Trump uh, and, and his fun. chances. I know, but but uh, you th- throw a rock and you can hit a Democrat who's in the freaking uh, out f- freaking uh, fetal out. position right now. Freaking out. Yep. Um, I mean, you know, the only thing worse for Democrats than polls that show the race close or polls that show the race not close because they all have PTS, polling traumatic stress disorder from uh, 2016. So, Murphy, tell our friends, put them at ease. Tell them why this isn't 2016. Well, first of all, your comment inspired me that we really ought to re-record the opening of this podcast and open with... Boy, can you believe this tracking? It's unbelievable. The surge <laughs> yeah. Trump is having, I think, you know, and just scared the shit out of people for two minutes. <laughs> like War of the Worlds. Yeah, do, do War of the Worlds, exactly. <laughs> it, apparently, both Michigan and Wisconsin are now showing a Trump lead in the analytics. Look, the reason it's not 2016, there's so many, I'll be quick. First of all, Biden's a stronger candidate than Hillary. Second, Trump is the incumbent, so he can't be right. pissing at the castle. He is the castle. Right. Three, Trump is a novelty act that we've had for four years. How many people, the day after seeing Gallagher do the watermelon act, say, boy, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow night. I'm going to go buy Gallagher tickets. <laughs> Nobody, not even to see his brother. There used to be two Gallaghers, a whole nother story. So, you know, Trump is kind of spent. 10CC and Gallagher in the same podcast. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, we're going for the deep Murphy dive is stuck in this time today. capsule, and yeah. I can't get him to move forward. Ain't no Jaws of Life built that can pull me out of that. <laughs> so the finish up, Trump is also unable to play the big Captain Nemo keyboard of being an incumbent president and harness all that power to pivot and move and do shit. Instead, he's just doing the old campaign we've seen before with a totally different context. And finally, Biden has been lucky. Biden is lucky, lucky, lucky man. Uh, He had the demographic stuff, and to their credit, they kept their wits together in the primary. Uh, But then he got to an African-American dominated state where his incredible connection there totally elevated him. They played it right. And he's been out of sight letting Trump self-immolate because of the the coronavirus. And when he's had to appear, he's been pretty good. So, you know, it's just a very different world. Now, could Trump win? Yes. Will Trump win? Highly, highly unlikely. Here's the two things that you, so Democrats, there are two kinds of bedwetting going on now. One kind of bedwetting is the traditional bedwetting, which is like, you know, the, the, the polls are, 
maybe you know, somehow Trump's going to do what he did in 2016. The polls will all be wrong. There's that bedwetting that Trump uh, Biden might lose. They believe that, and and Trump's true believers believe that. Right. 100 secret poll. 100. And then there's the other kind of bedwetting, which is you know Biden will win, but Trump will steal the election, which is a whole other topic. But there's a lot of that. Um, here are the two things that 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 people seize on. I think part just to try to like unpack why are Democrats freaking out. It, it, there is the 2016 PTSD, but there is also the rallies, right? And and I, you know we we are all sophisticates and we say well crowd size doesn't matter. But the reality is, you know, Barack Obama had a shit had giant huge mega rallies and it genuine it signified genuine enthusiasm. Donald Trump had mega rallies in 2016 and it signified real enthusiasm. It is the case now, if you're a Democrat, you look around, you look at Joe Biden's turnout when he does do the rare events that he does. And, you know, I've been on the road. I've seen him. They're not, people don't show up. Now that could be because they're sensible Democrats who don't want to get coronavirus. There are a lot of reasons. They've all seen Joe Biden for years and they know already that they're- Or they don't want to infect the candidate. Right, or any of the above. But the reality <laughs> is, if you're a Democrat looking around, the Trump people, the MAGA people, like, send you these pictures in social media. Look at these rallies. Thousands of people are coming out. And Democrats are spooked by that. I'm not yeah. saying they should be, but they are. They're spooked by it. And the other piece of it is, if you're if you're a sophisticate, the thing you're spooked by, and you hear it a lot in the last 10 days, is the registration numbers. And you see, you know, Tom Edsel writes a piece in the New York Times last week that points it out. But I've been seeing people circulating these registration numbers in, in our world for around the same period of time. So you look at, you know, the, the registration advantage of Democrats has narrowed in Florida over yeah, the over these cycles. Yeah. They've, it's narrowed in North Carolina. It's narrowed in Pennsylvania. And so there are people who are who are sophisticates in our world who also look at those things. And to Mike, to your point about, they're not saying they think Trump's going to win, but they see some little tremors in the numbers like that on the registration thing and say, huh, Maybe there's a little bit wider a path here than the conventional wisdom allows. I hear that all the time. And I'm actually as much I'm about to raise the question to ask you guys, like, why is it why is it that we that people should not should write off the registration uh, narrowing thing? What what is the reason that you guys remain confident in the face of some actual data that would cause people and has caused some people to get nervous? I'll take the first shot at it. There's some truth in it. It's also been the Trump strategy because they're trying to change the electorate because they know they're losing the electorate they got. They're also willing to go knock on doors in a pandemic. The Biden campaign in most places has not been. But people only people look at the registration thing as R versus D. And they're, wow, the R's are doing pretty well compared to the D. There, there are two other numbers you got to look at. One, the demographic change, because a lot of old R's are dying. Um, and so, you know, the Republican, the, you're, if you look at it like water going into a pail, the Republican pail has a leak in it and the Democratic one doesn't uh, demographically because the older vote tends to be more old, white and R, the younger vote more multicultural. Second, keep a look at the third category, because in most places, uh, Biden's going to win that third category, new independence, new other stuff by 20 points or better. So you really have to look at D plus uh, two-thirds of the I's against the R's. And then it flattens out in a pretty good way, and then the D's, the R's are losing old people faster than the D's are. I, I agree with that analysis. You know, when we uh, when I was with Obama and we beat um, uh, both McCain and Romney, we had, I think, a 650,000 voter registration edge in the first race of 550 the second. It's down to in the hundreds. Uh, now it's, it's been shrunken, but the state is three points more diverse, uh, than four years ago. Uh, and, uh, and these NPA voters tend to be, for whatever reason, a lot of minority voters are now registering NPA. 
uh, no party affiliation. So there's uh, there there are reasons to uh, you got to take that seriously, but uh, there are also offsetting factors. You know, John, on this uh, crowd thing, it reminds me of in in two thousand and eight. You know, uh, the McCain campaign uh, started jaked us into pulling our rallies down because our rallies were so uh, so ostentatious. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they did that whole he's a celebrity for no reason thing. Yeah, after and Berlin. We, we after stupidly, your Berlin thing. after yeah. Berlin. Yeah. So, it, yeah, 250,000 people in Berlin. Nice crowd. But, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> I won't even go there with huge crowds in Germany, but go ahead. <laughs> 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 Were they chanting? Any, any torches? Yes, we can. But um, I think so. I don't speak German. Anyway. Si se, si se puede. <laughs> but. Uh, we, so we pulled our crowds down. Then he picked Sarah Palin as his running mate. They start doing these huge rallies out of the convention, and we're still doing our little roundtables and so on. And we finally had a meeting and said, this is nuts. We're looking. He, We've got the momentum, and he looks like he has the momentum. Yeah. And so that goes to your point about uh, the rallies that Trump is having versus the uh, versus the uh, the Biden events. Well, they're winning the optics on cable. I mean, bottom line is Trump, you see cheering people about to get a disease and Biden, you see kind of slow and thoughtful. And that's just not optically how you like to close. I think it's also the case. I, I, I'll stipulate something that I think is true, right? Which is that I don't think there's genuinely like I, I, I hate to say this. I don't think there's an enormous amount of it. I think there's a genuine enthusiasm gap. I don't think Biden voters are all that enthusiastic about Joe Biden, particularly. I think they're super enthusiastic about getting Donald Trump out of the Oval Office. Yeah, that's where the enough. That's all you need. The enthusiasm doesn't. Re- I, I bet you know what I'm saying, Mike. It's like the those people don't. They really don't need to go to a rally. Joe Biden's been around for a long time. They know he's an acceptable alternative. What they are enthusiastic about is getting rid of Trump. So it's kind of like, why would I go to a right. rally? Right. Why do I need to show that well, I'm enthusiastic about? Well, they are showing up. They're showing up to freaking vote. Right. Yeah. 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 right. No, no. Right. Their, their rally yes. is their pen circling the dot that isn't Trump in early voting. Right, and standing in those giant lines in Florida and in Texas and, and which Georgia. is incredible, really, that incredible. people will wait eight and nine hours to vote. I mean, you know, the downside of it is no one in America should have to wait eight or nine hours to vote. On the other side of the equation is people are doing it. Which what does that tell you? Thirty-two million people have voted at this mm-hmm. point. And I remember having some conversations about this where Murphy was like, you know, people like to sit on their ballots. And I, I you know, they, they may still be sitting on their ballots, but 32 million people have voted as of this recording. And like compared to, I think, five at, the, at this at this same stage in 2016, I, I, get, I get all the factors, but it's just a stunning thing that 32 million people have voted at this phase in the, in the process already. Stunning. Well, it's a mix, though. It's enthusiasm and also the pandemic. You yes, know, we right. yeah. know of course. The yeah, mix course. is probably both. It's both. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A good and, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven 
to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach, telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. So let me ask you guys this. The pandemic is, is on the march again, and particularly in the north where it's getting colder. Uh, those three states, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, um, what does that mean? I mean, is that should, first of all, will that stop people from going out and voting early? Uh, will it drive them to mail votes? And, and, you know, if this continues for two more weeks, uh, what does it, what does it mean in terms of turnout at the polls? And could that end up actually hurting Trump that he encouraged people to go to the polls? And now the, ep- the pandemic has resurfaced. It could. It could because it looks like a spike in the kind of winter states. But, you know, it's hard to calculate. Maybe people just try to vote by mail more, which is a little more of a novelty in Michigan and Wisconsin than it is in other places. They're also going to have slower counts because they're Election Day count states. So, But I, I think it's got to have an impact. I'm not sure what it is, though. If you're a Trump you know, field operator, you're thinking, oh, hell, why did we declare a, a holy jihad on voting by mail? Because our suburbanites during a, a, a surge, or our rurals, I should say, having blown the suburban vote in many ways, you know, I don't know if they're going to want to brave a, a pandemic that's 25% worse than it is today on election day. So I, I'd be worried if I were them about this. There's going to be incredible PhD dissertations written about this in the in years to come. Someone told me the other day that they knew someone who was like an out of work baseball uh, statistical analyst, a sabermetrician who had um, who had taken up the cause of looking at doing regression analyses in the battleground states and maybe even CD by CD, looking at infection rates and and Trump's poll numbers. And so what do they say? Hit or steal? Did they give us a- <laughs> Bunt. Um, 
And they said, you know, that there was an amazing correlation that every time infection rates went up in a really granular way. And of course, this is obvious at the macro level, but it's fascinating to me at the micro level that in, in places where the infection rates would go up, there would be downward pressure on Trump's poll numbers. And you could, it was, be, it was the, the data was bearing that out, which we all understand at the macro level is true. When the, when the coronavirus is, is getting worse, it's bad for Trump. But I think it, to the point, to your point, David, there's these obviously these questions about what it will do to turnout. But I think it does exert downward pressure on Trump in those states. The fact that uh, that Iowa, Iowa, Minnesota, and the three, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, all of those states are are on the brink of a massive surge in this last two weeks. Which I just I can't figure out any angle by which that's good for Trump. Like what? There's no world in which it's a positive thing for Donald Trump. Well, and again, happening. you know, his showing up in all these states and making a point of downplaying the uh, virus and uh, and you know, castigating the scientists and so on. I mean, it's just like spectacularly tinnied. Uh, you know, he plays to the crowd in front of him. Oh, totally. It's back to the, the bubble of uh, self-pleasure. Stands up there and spits. He spits on a MAGA hat and throws it at people. It is all about his, quote, his people he feels a, a, a loyalty to. And so he wants to go out and meet him in hockey arena. It's kind of like Goldwater. You know, when you have passion, it's great, but that may not be enough people. Murphy, as as one who's fleeced a lot of uh, a lot of clients over the years, I want to ask you about the uh, television situation here. I've always been of the mind that uh, TV is um, of lesser importance in a presidential race, just because of the volume of coverage mm-hmm. it gets. That, uh, but it is probably valuable in reaching those really, really hard to reach voters in the kind of crevices. Uh, of the electorate, uh, you know, watching Andy of Mayberry at three in the morning and uh, a smart campaign is going to seek them out using analytics to do it. But it is true that, uh, you know, Biden has a two to one edge in television spending in the second going into the second week of the campaign. Uh, What does it mean? One, I agree. In a presidential campaign, normally it's the, the earned media is the most important. But paid ads let you go into a couple of states and get a third message out where you can really push the voters around without, you know, the cable TV filters and everything. So I think the 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 Trump, and there, there's a great AP story about the billion they blew that came out today with some detail, yeah, which you. is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. I have a quote in a story that 10 monkeys with flamethrowers cannot burn through cash in a stupider way than they did. That's a good quote if you do say so yourself. Well, yeah. I, I thought just in case you missed it, um, I wanted to put it <laughs> No need to read you. the story. Now you got yeah. the essence of right, it right now, there. Now you're, you're a celebrity journalist. You don't have to read the actual clips. <laughs> yeah. But I think it saved Biden's ass in September because a, a, a Trump comeback str- strategy would have been a September offense and a, a good convention, September offense to put the spotlight on Biden, capped by a great debate on the 29th and then close the gap in October. But Biden in September was able to flood the airwaves. Trump was broke out wrestle them on TV and hold the line and burn up the clock. And then Trump, of course, had the worst debate ever. Now we're at a position where Trump is pulling ads down basically Florida um, and a few other places are kind of his fortress. Uh, and he's still he's still getting beat on the air. And in other places where he's vulnerable, that he ought to win the Ohio's of the world, the Iowa's he's out and in Michigan, he's underfunded. So, you know, and, and Trump, because you can't the Trump folks cannot trust their candidate to carry a coherent message other than yell at the TV, except yell at the audience thinking they're the TV um, that he's upset with. They, they don't have any tools 
Um, they've done some damage to Biden in Florida where they've spent some money. They pounded him on, of all things, Social Security, and they've closed that gap a little bit. I mean, there are there are a few places where Trump television can make a difference. There's just not nearly enough of it because of all the spending incompetence. So, you know, it's the same story. They're a, a little better than being they're there. I think uh, Biden has a just about a two to one lead in Florida, which is smaller than what He's had in some other in some other states. I mean, it's kind of mind boggling. He's you know, it's a three to one deficit in Michigan, which tells you, uh, I think, what Trump thinks his chances are there. But also uh, two and a half to one in Wisconsin. I mean, these are fairly significant. One interesting <laughs> thing is they both sort of gone dark. Biden has a few ads up in Ohio. But Mike, uh, both of you guys, you're both television guys. You know, it's interesting. And Mark Caputo had a good story about this in Politico. Um, the Biden campaign has bought a lot of national TV uh, because the cost per the cost yeah. of local television stations in these battleground states has gone through the roof. It's more cost effective Much to more. buy to buy nationally. When you get to the enough takeoff states, which are going to be the big five or six, plus the three or four you're hoping for, the Georgias, the Ohio's, all of a sudden, particularly for national TV that has demographic efficiency like football. Uh, you do much better buying the country and you basically get the country for free on top of the states you want because those spot markets are all bid up crazy. You also have IE groups like Republican Voters Against Florida. We're up around nine million in spending there. No, 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 no. Republican Republican Voters Against Florida. (laughs) Republican Voters Against Florida. Oh, well, that's that's always been true. (laughs) (laughs) Republican Voters Against Trump, rvet.org, still taking contributions. In Tampa, and Jacksonville, and there's a whole crazy war in Orlando, you know, the, the groups that aren't candidates are in there, and it kind of bids up. That's why, and frankly, a lot of them will be vanishing by the 28th or 29th, because so much that early vote will be flooding in, and the pricing gets so crazy the last 10 days that the work is kind of done. But your point is right. The national stuff has great efficiency, if you got the money, and they do. It is interesting to me that the one, there, the one state, the one state, there are two states, I guess, where uh, Trump is outspending and Trump and affiliated groups are outspending uh, Biden. One is uh, one is North Carolina and the other is Georgia. Uh, and uh, both, you know, North Carolina's tight as a tick. Georgia is my blue plate special. I think Georgia could be a breakthrough state. And, and you know, I'm not one who chases I, like. There's fool's gold in presidential politics. Yeah, he doesn't go no, chasing but, rainbows. You don't. But there are all rainbows, kinds though. of reasons to believe that Biden could win. Uh, could win Georgia. And I plug Ohio. I think they're very similar. I say one just thing, just to put a, a button on this, is that it goes back to the conversation we were having before about enthusiasm. And I think really, you know, the other place we were saying, you know, they don't show up for the Biden rallies, but they are showing up to vote. The other place where you can really measure Democratic enthusiasm is the money, and the money has just been stunning, yep. not just the presidential level. Joe Biden couldn't. Could bear, he was out banging a tin yeah. cup. Yeah. As a, he was the worst of the major candidates, of the A candidates that ran for the Democratic nomination. He's had the worst fundraising operation, was cash poor for the whole nomination fight. You know, had to get that little super PAC together to keep him in, in, in business in the fall of 2019. And now they have become this juggernaut. And it just is, I think, again, a reflection of, of the, this overwhelming Democratic desire to get Trump out. And you see it obviously spilling over in these Democratic in the Senate races where, you know, you look at you look at Jamie Harrison and some of these other Democratic candidates that are yes. just, just it's 
stunning how much money they have. Stun- staggering. They cannot spend, spend it. Yes. the money they have because it is so far in excess of anything they expected to raise. And there's a limit to what you can buy. And there's an irony to it, though. I think the Biden guys have run a smart campaign other than maybe the economic stuff. But I give them an A+. plus. But if they'd had a lot of money early, the odds are they might have spent it. You know, totally. that, it is a totally. weird thing where totally. being broke made them smart, in effect, because they were forced to hold the money till the end. Well, the Trump guys did the opposite because they had the luxury of all that cash and they weren't smart. There's no question that uh, Trump is, 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 is a fundraising machine for Democrats, as he would probably love us to acknowledge. But uh, there is a question of whether I mean, it seems to me that this could be uh, kind of a historic tipping point here. Uh, I mean, the idea that all over the country, Democratic challengers are outraising Republican incumbents. And not by legislate. a little, by no, a like, lot. So, sometimes five to one. Yes. Sometimes yes. five to one. Look at Jamie one. Harrison. It's incredible. And the, quest, and the question is, the question is, will that continue? Is Are we at a different, has American politics shifted? And do Democrats now have a fundraising advantage that is institutionalized because they have the ability to raise small dollars? Or will Republicans catch up? Well, and I would say that that, you know, you think about the history of that, you know, you start with Obama, you know, the, the, that kind of gave birth to, you know, small dollar online fundraising. You then go to Sanders, you know, the next step in the innovation. And now ActBlue is maybe the most powerful organization, non, it, might, it could be the most powerful organization in politics that's more powerful than the Democratic Party. I mean, they're just, that is a, a, a you know, it's a transformative thing that there is now a highly efficient, highly effective central clearinghouse for small dollar donations for people that where they can get their money into Democratic and other progressive causes. It's like change the face of politics. And I think it's right. I mean, there's no there's nothing there's no IP in there that's not copyable in theory by Republicans. But the reality is the Republican Party, I mean, besides Trump, who is obviously a brand unto himself, you look at the rest of the Republican Party. Who is there in the Republican Party that is you need a brand, you need a you need the kind of candidate, you need a Barack Obama, you need a Bernie Sanders, you need a Donald Trump in reverse to drive that kind of to drive small dollar donations. And you look at the Republican who Marco Rubio is going to be that person, you know, Nikki Haley is going to be that person. I don't think so. The act blue thing is so important because and to translate for our hackeroos a little bit. It allows basically your credit card number to live in a place so you can you can give low dollar with an easy click yep. instead of filling out 28 things and all your information every time, which makes it, it gives it a lot of friction, as the as the tech kids would say. So ActBlue allows this me to get an email from some crank Democratic candidate. Yeah, I'm on board and do a click and 50 bucks flies. And right, that, right. Now, the Republicans have one. They've done an, an a, they have an impersonate, but it's not nearly as much of an eco- ecosystem as the Dems have built over the last couple of cycles. And uh, it, it's really democratized fundraising. The other thing is you make a lot more money. In the yeah. old direct mail days, you're spending 80 cents to raise a dollar, best case. Now you're spending seven cents to raise a dollar or less. This is, you know, obviously there are big things going on here, but when the smoke clears, this is going to be a huge story. Uh, about American politics. Totally. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. So debate coming up this Thursday. What? Uh, Trump, Trump (laughs) Trump was whining about it on, uh, on uh, Fox and Friends uh, about how unfair it is and how 
they've changed the rules and it was supposed to be all about national security and foreign policy and now it's not don't know that that necessarily benefits him as if trump's gonna care what the topics are he's just gonna say what he's gonna say anyway and he's obviously unhappy because they can uh the mute they can can mute him uh, during biden's two-minute answers but it seems like the last big hurdle here uh, I mean, I'm not sure that anything that happens, 40 million people will have voted by that time. Uh, I think, you know, 95, 98% of Americans have made up their minds. So t- what, what, is, uh, what do you guys think is at stake on, uh, on Thursday night? For the neurotic Democratic world, it'll just be a sleepless night. I would say, skip it. <laughs> you know why? I, will Trump be better? I, I don't think it's a grip on the campaign, as you say. Early votes surging ahead, people are locked in. The question is, can Trump do anything different? And should Biden change up his act a little bit? But it's all at the margins now. I, I don't see unless unless Biden starts calling Trump Roosevelt and tries to engage him in a conversation, <laughs> and forgets who he is, and you know, twenty three could do. What about that new color television coming in? I was watching Dumont the other night. You know, I mean, maybe Biden could blow the whole thing. It's not impossible. A quick trivia point. I did hear a candidate once say multiple times, and it really endeared him to me. He was a great patriot. He's still with us. Senator Bob Dole used to say, by Jiminy, which I thought was just great. Yeah, probably not going to happen in this in this debate. Well, Biden what, might, you, but yeah. You know what? I just said uh, the question is, uh, John, does Trump. I mean, he obviously last time he was hyperbolically trying to shake Biden up and the interruptions were a part of that. Is he going to be uh, less so this way? I mean, things have advanced to the point where he knows he's or in irrational moments, he must know that he he's in the he's in a bit of a jam here. Um, Mm, Does he know that he does? Does it does he know that he screwed himself last time by being such an ass or does he? Does he and does he tone it down or does he double down? What, what's my I, I, so what do we know here? Here's a, a, a known thing, which is that everybody around Trump has been telling him that he has to be different and that he screwed up the first debate and that they probably won't say it quite that bluntly, but that he needs to, uh, as they would put it, you know, give give Biden enough rope to hang himself. And he needs to not interrupt because, you know, that's when Biden's going to show that he's addled and, and doddering and, and senile and Trump can't interrupt him. And maybe the mute button will help him. And they're trying to get him to they're trying to get him to be different. Does Trump think that he screwed up the first debate? Uh, not on the not on any available evidence. Like you look at the way no, he said behaved. today, he said today on Fox and Friends that they got a lot of good notice on that first debate. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, does Trump is, you know, if, if his advisors had their wishes, you know, Trump would be different. If, if Trump, they're not going to get their wishes. They never do. So Trump thinks he did great in that first debate. Just like, you know, everything, you know, he's not he's he, there's no sense in which Trump thinks he's he needs to he needs to change course. And I think, you know, if you just on the basis of how he's campaigning. It suggests that it course correction is not like front of mind for him. And you just said this thing, David, that I think is, you know, telling, right? Which is, you know, an irrational moment. He must know it's not working for him. I just don't think there are, again, there are there's no, there's no available evidence to suggest that <laughs> rational moments are occurring right now yeah. in Donald Trump's head. He's not campaigning like a rational person. Trump will scratch any itch he has. And every day he wakes up with one itch, kill Biden. Got to kill Biden. Biden between me and toy I want. Kill Biden. (laughs) So I think he will do like six minutes of of thoughtful Trump, and then his head will explode, and we'll be right back where we are. There will be a new tactic, though. There is a button on Biden's forehead, Hunter Biden, and that kind of bullshit. Yeah, no, I think this is big. This is big. Biden popped off at a CBS reporter. Let's listen to the quick 
clip of Joe having an Irish temper moment with the reporter on a tarmac somewhere. And Mr. Biden, Mr. Biden, what is your response to the New York Post story about your son, sir? I know you'd ask it. I have no response. It's another terror campaign. Right up your alley. There are the questions you always ask. Now, the Trump guys are watching this on a loop, you know, trying to get Trump to, to provoke him. But the Biden guys know it's coming. And I think you will see Trump try. Joe Biden is passionate about his family. I'm sure he is mightily pissed off about not just the story, but the photo of Hunter with a crack pipe or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And the fact that his, uh, that his family had to see that, his grandkids had to see that. And I think he's probably really pissed about it. And probably the most important thing they can do for him in debate prep is to model out how he's going to deal with that uh, because he could lose it around that. And, you know, mm-hmm. I thought he was incredibly effective in the last in the debate. first debate. Yeah. When when his when Hunter's drug use came up, uh, he was uh, when he when he said he loves his son. And, uh, you know, a lot of families have this problem. I think a lot of people in America uh, embraced that. But he what he can't do is just go, you know, postal uh, in a way that that that, you know, causes him to unravel. The, the bottom line is that everybody in America, literally everybody in America, he's either had an addiction issue or knows someone who's had an addiction issue. Everybody, everybody. And everyone's had, everyone's family has, uh, everyone who's a parent has had their kid make, exercise bad judgment at some point. All of these things are properly handled by Joe Biden to work to his advantage. There's literally yeah, not a yeah, thing about yeah. this story that properly handled is not does not help Joe Biden and does not make him come across the figure of sympathy with which whom with whom everyone in the country will share at least a moment of like I can relate to that. But that does does as you say, David. It depends on whether he's able to be disciplined. And, and the one example we have of it so far in that first debate, I thought he was exceptionally good yeah. in that moment. It's easy for jamokes like us to say, "Hey, play it cool." No, no, but but he did though. So he but... he did in the first debate. No, he did. The problem is Trump will do it third. 30 times and Biden will eventually it's going to be ramped up. I just want to say one thing about that story, which I mean, again, it's been commented on. I'm not going to give it anything in it credit because I think the story's, you know, I called it a radioactive turd the other day on television. But it is amazing to me. I've never seen anything like this. Like you get to the point where you're out shopping a story like this. You are turned down by Fox News. The only home you can find for it is the New York Post. The New York Post has a newsroom revolt over it, where the story is such that the person who wrote it wouldn't put refuses to it. have a byline yeah. on it, and the person whose byline on it had nothing to do with it. There's literally yeah. no one in the New York Post newsroom yeah. who wants to be anywhere within ten yards of this story. So it's so it's really hard for me to understand because it was walked in by the, the highly credible Rudy Giuliani. So yeah, with an assist from yeah, Steve Bannon. I, uh, right? Where's yeah. the bullet, sir? Biden ought to lock a glance on the camera and make a joke about debating a, a, a monkey or whatever and just talk to the home camera and let Trump rant and rave. I think Biden was at his best last time when he was doing that. He ought to try to spend about three quarters of his time doing that in this debate. Time to close the deal. OK, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. A couple of things happened in Senate races last week that really speaks to how you can really screw yourself with a bad moment. Uh, one was in Iowa where Joni Ernst, who sits on the Ag Committee and yeah. is... Yeah, the old price of soybean trick. 
Yeah. yeah. And that comes back every year. Price of milk, you know, you think they would know. Let's yeah. just hear it. It was a bad moment. Thank you very much. I, I might have missed it, but I don't think you answered my question. What's the break-even price for soybeans in Iowa? You grew up on a farm. You should know this. Uh, I think you had asked about corn, and I, it depends uh, no, on. I asked her corn. It depends on what the inputs are, but probably about five fifty. Well, you're a couple dollars off, I think, here because it's ten oh five. So, well, we'll move on to something else. Then. That's the polite Iowa equivalent of your full of shit, by the way. And David, what's the price of barley? One bushel in the Chicago. I don't know. Stand. I just drink it. I don't weigh it. <laughs> uh, yeah, same <laughs> here. <laughs> but. Uh, but you know what? She's the she's she runs as the a farmer's daughter. She's on the ag committee, and her opponent uh, Teresa. I'm the one who castrates hogs, if you remember. Exactly. That's how she got. That's how she got elected. And by the way, she was a few points down before this. So, yeah. Uh, to her her opponent Teresa Greenfield got a, a comparable question on the price of corn, and she nailed it to the penny with all kinds of uh, explanation about it, different factors that weigh on it. And if you're a farmer watching that, you're saying, "Well, damn, she knows she knows this shit," and Joni didn't. Yeah, she's planning to tax corn, so it's it all part of the plan. I owe that to my old political friends in Iowa. David Kotchel's probably listening, but rough day for Ernst. Classic classic error in georgia where david perdue has a close race against john ossoff of a a republican incumbent goes to a trump rally and gets infected by trump uh let's listen to that one but the most insidious thing that chuck schumer and joe biden are trying to perpetrate and bernie and elizabeth and kamala or what kamala or kamala kamala Kamala, Kamala, i don't know whatever all right so this guy is in the united states senate he sits on the committee, on a committee with Kamala Harris, knows very well how she pronounces her name, and you know what he was trying to do there. Yeah, and by the way, he is an asshole in real life. Yes. I mean, in <laughs> yeah. the in the Republican caucus, everybody thinks Cruz is the guy they all hate, which is kind of true. Yeah, a lot of there. people hate Purdue. He's just a jerk. It's that's the George Allen thing. That's the Macaca moment right there. Another just you know letting your letting everybody see the like the little the, the literal not so little racist that's just behind the curtain in David Purdue. Could this cause uh, Ossoff to be able to pluck Purdue? Uh-huh. 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 All right, okay, guys. Well, he's going to peck away at him here. For- <laughs> but it does go back to the thing you said before, David, which we didn't really follow up on, which is that you're not alone in the blue plate special thing about Georgia. It is the case. I keep hearing, you know, the more I've been in Georgia a couple times this fall and the more with the closer we get to Election Day, the more it seems like that. I mean, it's always been the battleground, the, the reach state that people thought was most likely. But it's been moving and moving. It's been moving. moving. It's been moving. Well, it's been the demography of it, the Atlanta suburbs. Yes, it's the perfect exactly. storm of what the Dems are hoping for. And the Republicans, you've got Purdue, who, you know, again, wants to be Foghorn Leghorn. Another reference for you there. Kenny <laughs> Delmar, the great radio <laughs> comic who Warner mm. Brothers stole the character. All right, all right. And <laughs> you've got Kelly Leffler, who is yeah. a, an SNL sketch. Um, who may lose to Collins, the congressman. She may yeah. not make it into the runoff, by the way, and he's got his own set of troubles. So on every level, is kind of a mediocre Republican uh, team. Well, let's hit the mailbag. It's mailbag. Now, first of all, if you have a question, you can email us at our mailbag, hacksontap at gmail.com. That's hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts or even use the share button to send an episode to somebody you want to irritate. Now, first question 
I feel a Chicago fix here, but it's to David from oh, yes. David. Oh, yeah. oh. David voting since 1911. Uh, I hear I all so the respect polls. you. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Wise David writes, <laughs> X, you're the best. No, okay. Wise David writes, I hear all the polls described as the opinions of, quote, likely voters. And at the same time, predictions that this year's turnout will be unprecedented. Might past history be a poor predictor of likely voters? And if so, how exactly do pollsters correct for the changing composition of, quote, likely voters? Great question. It is a great question. And they poll, they, you know, polls do do modeling, but the likely voter designation, uh, particularly in these public polls, is based on the interest that voters uh, uh, that voters express ab- about the election and about their likelihood uh, to vote. So they'll make adjustments along the way. And I think one thing that's been interesting is there's not that much daylight between likely and registered voters, partly because there is a, uh, a larger um, electorate out there. I mean, we have not seen enthusiasm like this ever. Uh, uh, and that's been true for for weeks and months people and you can see it in the early voting line people are are showing up and they're going to vote in this election just in case david the wise david the questioner didn't quite glean from that what uh what they might have the the the, the, every pollster has a likely voter screen so they call somebody you get a phone call the pollster calls about people on the phone you pick up the phone and they ask you some questions about how likely you are to vote. And and there's no standard for that. Some of the screens are very loose. Some of the screens are very, are very, are very tight, you know, but uh, you know, the part of the art and science of polling is, is how good your screen is at determining people who are in fact likely to vote and then turn out to be voters later, you know, in certain places like, you know, polling the Iowa caucuses, you know, the way that you can distinguish between good polls and bad polls is how good the, the likely voter screens are, the likely caucus voter screens are. So that's the answer of how that, that how that's decided. It's not science. The thing that pollsters have to do is then take that data and uh, make sure their sample conforms to something that reflects history in those Yes, uh, in those states, and that is right. a that is part science, more part science. art. Yep. It's part science, part art. There used to be a great old trick question, an open end. In other words, they had to name it. They're expensive, so they don't really live anymore in polling. But it was, can you name the two candidates on election day? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that became a pretty good cut. Now, if you yeah. go back in the archives, Gibbs and I did an episode with Democratic super pollster Mark Melman, and he went on a long rant about the likely voter thing and how it can lead you uh, a astray and i highly recommend that so juliet asks uh mike murphy i'm in pennsylvania and see that campaign volunteers devote hours to getting and disturb and distributing yard signs but what do your yard signs really do for presidential candidates who already have name recognition if you have a yard sign are you perhaps more likely to donate money or phone bank or register voters i think we had a question like that recently but you haven't had a chance to answer it and as someone who really grew up in a different time as is reflected in almost everything you say i thought you might want to different time a different universe (laughs) yes okay spring chicken um you're actually older than i am and not by a few years but mike mike uh, it's not about time it's that you live in some weird place where like it's like the trivia forest or something (laughs) it's like it's all this yeah it's 50s through 80s trivia is there's no end to it archive of the trivial pursuit universe (laughs) okay all right all right like get out your pencils and you can learn the answer to this question from (laughs) juliet 
So what yard signs are really about is the volunteers because they have to have something to do. Um, yard signs can be expensive, and they're not the most effective thing in the world, but it's impossible not to have them, and you want your troops to be motivated. Now, most yard signs do their best work in somebody's garage because the volunteer agrees to go put up 15, puts up three, and then the rest go vanish. So uh, they're hardly a mega weapon. I am very proud that in 1988, I used to deploy in a congressional race in South Bend, Indiana, by the way, home of Mayor Pete, negative yard signs, which we found pretty effective. I was a big fan of those. <laughs> what was wrong with the opponent, Tom Ward? We had a negative TV with a punchline, and uh, we, we put the board up on a yard sign. So they're fun. If you got them, put them up. They're not, they're not terrible, but they tend to be overrated, and they're by far the most important. The other thing, by the way, when your campaign makes a yard sign, give it a message. Have it lower taxes. Vote Lurigan. Something other than just the name and an unreadable logo, which is I've never seen a negative yard sign before oh, in my yeah. life. I no, just, I'll, I'll send it to Incredible. you. Okay, here's the story very quickly. Guy flip flopped in a congressional race. He said one thing to the Kiwanis Club, said another thing to the. Oh man, I I think I was in this race. Uh, what is he going to tell the Elks? And we had that yard sign all over the yeah. place. Yeah, that was Tom yeah. Ward in '88. Yeah, yeah, right. Jumping right. Jack Holly. No, was that I, you? I was in, yeah, I was in there, man. Oh, okay. I was yeah, in there. That was, that was a, a brilliant. That was brilliant. Anyway, Mark says with almost every this is for john heilman with almost every yeah. piece of data suggesting republicans are going to get clobbered in this election how is there so little panic on the right if the tables were turned and democrats were down 10 points there'd be panic on a massive scale on the left hey democrats are panicking and they're 10 points up uh is this just a matter of democrats and republicans being wired differently or is there something else at play here and is it actually true because i talked to a lot of republicans privately or, who are pretty, pretty yeah. concerned well, I'd say yes and yes, um, and and on both those things. First of all, it is the case that Democrats are congenitally more neurotic than Republicans. Just over the course of my career, I've seen a lot more bedwetting on the Democratic side than on the Republican <laughs> side. As a general thing, okay, so that's true. the first thing. The second thing is uh, it's it's something specific, which is that for this crop of Republicans, they you know in the same way that that, that Democrats suffer from PTSD in 2016, Republicans suffer from the anti like reverse PTSD. There's a lot of Republicans who walk around in a very high the MAGA Republicans walk around in a highly overconfident state, which is like you mass media you, you mainstream media jagoffs told us you know that Hillary was going to win. And it was certain it was a done deal back in 2016, and look our guy won. And they use that one that one what we we what we would all call uh, Donald Trump pulling an inside straight that they think that that proves the point that polls are not reliable and, and the conventional wisdom is not reliable. And so they think that Trump will be able to do it again. He did it once. Why not this time? And then the third point that David raised, which is like, I certainly hear, I think that this is a, it's not that Republicans aren't panicking. They are just better about not talking about it to the press, which, um, which is, you know, Democrats are more neurotic and more gabby. And Republicans are a little less neurotic and a lot less gabby about it. So you don't see that kind of like outbreaks of bedwetting in public. They just manage to keep their bedwetting to themselves. But there's a lot of it going on right now in the Republican ranks as witnessed by, you know, we've cited some of these examples, but my, still my favorite right now, John Cornyn, you know, oh, yeah. John Cornyn distancing himself from Donald Trump this last week is, you know, that is that's what passes for tell. bedwetting in the Republican Party. That's like number two guy in the Senate or number three from ten from Texas, from Texas. Republican. Should be very safe. Speaking of Gabby um, Republicans, what do you say about this, Murphy? <laughs> You're really doing your own King routine tonight to do another <laughs> old uh, old uh, reference. Well, you've been doing Groucho all day, the, so the, why not? The, the, no, no, he's got the Groucho stash, or he used to in the Brady uh, years. Used to, but yeah. now, 
All right. So the here, brave here's years. my view on this. All right. All right. I, I am speaking. Funny, all, right, all right. Appreciating you. All right. When you're done, I've got I've got insights. Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, um, so it's the it, the Republicans are a war between the mathematicians and the priest. The mathematicians, which are a lot of the insiders and the cons- look at the demography, look at the data, and say we're fucked. The priests say, "Ah ha ha! You said that last time. We said a big lightning bolt would hit that tree on the right, and you laughed at us. And then an hour later, the bolt hit, and now Trump's president. So they have the anecdotal." And because people live in bubbles now in America, a lot of the MAGA people, everybody they know other than their irritating daughter-in-law, are all voting for Trump. So it feels the same. The 43% feels like the 43%, and they see the rallies on TV, and they remember the surprise. Uh, And so it's very easy to be in kind of a bubble. Now, when you get to the professionals in the Republican Party, there's a subclass that are like Trump-enabling, you know, drags who can kind of work themselves into a rally I mean, a frenzy based on, like, rally turnout. But the pros all know this is terrible. And when you talk to Republican consultants behind the scenes, it, it is Stalingrad, man. They're eating horse meat trying to figure out how to put on a dress and escape. So uh, it, it's just our—and you're right about the gabbiness, too. Uh, and there's a conservative echo chamber. You can go talk to Fox and tell them things are doing great. And our goats are and the, and the base goats are all listening to Fox, hearing that Sean Hannity says the— the snore gas poll shows a surging in Minnesota. But this is why they're so uh, hostile to regulation so that they can eat the horse meat at times like this. So. <laughs> it really is. It's also really true. It's really funny you say that, Mike, because the reality is that there's the incentive structure set up this way, too. You know, if you go on MSNBC as a Democrat and predict doom, you, you will get endless airtime. You can get booked on any show on MSNBC to go out and say things are like that and be and be nervous and, and neurotic. On, on Fox News, it's the opposite, right? If you go out and predict that Trump's going to lose, you're banished from air. Whereas if you, go on and, if you go on and say everything's fine, Donald Trump's on his way to securing yet another shocking, you know, shock the world, come from behind uh, victory, you'll again get massive airtime. But if you went on Fox News and said Trump's going to lose, you'd be banished. That'd be it. You'd be well, here, here's a word for the priests uh, on the Republican side. The, the, there, there are a bunch of trees that have fallen in 2020. They've all fallen on Donald Trump. Uh, and time there's 14 days left an errant tree can fall in a different direction but uh doesn't feel like um it doesn't feel like divine intervention here uh is going to save him in 2020 yeah i think the, the priests are going to literally have a religious experience on election day but we're we're find out all right guys we will see 14 days left should be fun heilman will be watching you on the circus we'll talk to you soon Murphy, I will see you shortly. After the debate with Mr. Robert Gibbs, will we take apart the last debate as the nation cheers? Yep. Gentlemen, I haven't had this much fun since I don't know when. Talk to you later. <laughs> All right, see ya. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Bye.